This is Frameform. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Frameform, a podcast about movies, moving, and everything in between. My name is Claire Schweitzer, and for those of you who are new to the show, Frameform is a podcast collaboration between myself, Screen Dance Collective's Hannah Weber, and Dance Cinema's Jen Ray. Frameform presents a combination of interviews and panel discussions on the intersections of dance, technology, and culture. We have three seasons available for all of your binge listening pleasure, which you can listen to wherever you get your podcasts. We are thrilled to kick off season four in collaboration with Dance Camera West, LA's longest continuously running annual dance film festival, by presenting conversations with festival artists. David Rousseff is a renowned choreographer, writer, director, and filmmaker, as well as a longtime board member and juror of Dance Camera West. Along with his many accomplishments as a professor at UCLA and artistic director of the dance theater company Reality, David has been a dance film practitioner for decades. We discuss not only his work in screen dance, but also historical initiatives like the film commissioning art anthology series Alive from Off Center and the UCLA National Dance Media Project. You can learn more about these initiatives through the Envisioning Dance on Film and Video Anthology series edited by Judy Matoma, which actually makes a cameo in this conversation. David Rousseff, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, I'm super happy to be here. Now, as much as I'd love to go through your entire body of work and all the numerous accomplishments, including a uh, Guggenheim Fellowship, as well as professorships at Princeton and UCLA, among others, I don't think we have the many hours it would take to do that. (laughs) (laughs) That works for me. (laughs) (laughs) But you're someone who, in the dance film space, has really borne witness to decades of the ebbs and the flows of the creation, presentation, and education of dance film practice. But let's actually start at the very beginning. I'm very interested what your first encounter with dance film was. It was actually uh, with uh, A Life From Off Center, uh, uh, which is a PBS series, um, Um, It was renamed Alive TV, but it was Alive from Off Center when I did it. Um, And they would match up a choreographer with a filmmaker um, to create a dance film. Um, But I think that the reason that that happened is important because my, uh, the way that I visualized my work, it felt like an organic transition into film. Um, So it's almost like my engagement with film started before I started working in video slash film. Um, and because when I was in the studio and I have no idea where it was from, I, I, I think maybe as a child, my generation, we saw so many films. Um, and I noticed that when I started choreographing, I was using like a filmic language. I would say, oh, no, that's, that's too abrupt. It's, it's more like a crossfade and not a jump cut. Or I would say, um, you know, because my work was all about um, this incredible intimacy, creating intimacy, but also acknowledging the vast plane on which that social plane on which that intimacy happened. So I was ironically trying to create like these for better or for worse epic pieces, but also where the individual and the plight, the emotional plight of the individual was paramount. And so I was constantly saying, 
No, that's a close-up. We're gonna have we're gonna figure out how to do it. I don't know how on the the stage of BAM, we're gonna get you in a close-up, but you have to look at that as a close-up. Don't perform it as a wide shot. It's too broad. Um, and so I was constantly using the limited, um, but somehow very present film language that I had. And a producer uh, from Dancing in the Streets, Elise Bernhardt, she thought along with, that's how I met uh, Joe Malillo, who was the artistic director of the Brooklyn Academy of Music and did the Next Wave Festival. They brought me to a live TV because they thought my work and my process were so uh, filmic um, and that it would really be, what if you could actually really do those close-ups and wide shots? Exactly. What if you could decide if it's a, a crossfade or a jump cut? Um, uh, and so that's what actually led me there was the actual work itself and the way that I thought of the work. Um, and then that just seemed like a natural pathway into film. Yeah. And from what I understand, the film uh, Pull Your Head to the Moon came out of that. Um, exactly. Also, from what I understand, it was a very epic filming process and also a very epic learning process for you. What were your key takeaways from that creation and that process? Oh, my gosh. It was my first time. We're, and we were working in film, not video. Uh, it was my very first time. And I just saw the pacing of production, pre and then production. And then I was really involved in post with the woman who uh, shot it and edited it was a African-American filmmaker named Ayoka Chinzira, is an African-American woman named Ayoka Chinzira. Um, and we worked very closely on the process. And I saw how, for lack of a better word, tedious uh, filmmaking can be. I saw literally the nuts and bolts, really tangible issues like we were shooting under the, the Brooklyn Bridge or shooting in the swamps of Louisiana and yet relying on bodies for eight hours a day and bodies are getting cold and warming back up. And I saw in those days in the editing process, <laughs> Ayoka has a dance background as well, which I just loved. Um, so she had a really great idea of how movement needed to fulfill itself on the screen. But there were points where I would say, oh, one more frame and that's gonna be ecstatic. It's almost ecstatic now. <laughs> I remember going, oh my gosh, going back and taking that tape off and then putting it, splicing, cutting off. And I thought, oh my God, that's to do one cut. Wow. Mm -hmm. So really the nuts and bolts of filmmaking was so different for me. But I have to say that the outcome um, I found really exhilarating. There were, of course, you know, I'm bitching and complaining, but there were, of course, so many amazing things that you could do that I could literally fulfill my vision in ways that I never could on stage. Uh, and I was really happy that for me, um, and everyone has their own path, but I was not trying to direct uh, my first dance film or dance video because I learned so much from Ayoka about what a producer does, about what a director does, about uh, a shot list. We had a rigid shot list and there was no room to maneuver. Um, uh, so I learned a lot and it really helped me with my live work um, as well in terms of being prepared, in terms of thinking how to storyboard not only a film, but also live work. I think that the gift of having to edit relentlessly in film, whether that's someone else's or my own, has been such a gift 
a painful as heck gift, but such a gift for live work and for film. A little bit of a personal story time. Um, the very first dance film workshop was a pre-production slash post-production workshop that was given by uh, Carrie Ann Shimsham oh. around 2013. And one of the films that she showed was Two Seconds After Laughter. Oh, that's so and great. There's a sense of intimacy that you get with your work, but it's almost like you were mentioning like this epic sense, like the very immersive sense that we see with work like that as well as work like uh bittersweet which uh was created in uh 2005 and i'm very interested in what your process is like in communicating with the subject and particularly with two seconds after laughter because you are essentially telling someone else's story yeah that was a really interesting process um the the performer uh, in the film was the person that the story, it was her autobiographical story. Uh, and her name is Sri Susilowati. And we had, she's Indonesian um, and she practices Javanese and um, Balinese dance and Sundanese. Uh, we focused on Balinese dance for uh, two seconds. Uh, but it was a retelling of her story or a telling of her story uh, we had created a live piece together uh, called Saudadja, um, and Sri was in that piece, and which really helps with why I even thought that I could tell the story. What I noticed, Saudadja had um, um, all these global citizens on it. It was a uh, um, we had a West African dance, and Olivier Tapaga uh, was from West Africa. We had Indonesian dance. Sri was from Indonesia. Um, we had South Asian dance. So we were a global, and we had African-Americans in the piece, much like myself, Southern African-Americans, um, European-descended folks. And so you would think that Sri would be the one that I was the most different and distant from. And actually listening, we talked a little bit about our life stories and um, her experience as an immigrant, which is what the piece focuses on, um, and the loneliness and alienation and also joy that you feel from trying to fit in somewhere when you fit in nowhere, was so resonant for me. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's the beauty of, I guess, storytelling. This person that I should have nothing in common with is the one that I am the most in sync with in terms of our lives and uh, her uh, story resonates so much for me. Um, and so I decided, wow, let's, let's tell your story, Sri, about what it's like to move to America and not only feel so different, but be so different. And where is home and what is the nature of home in this um, uh, transnational world? Uh, because I felt those things as an African-American, um, uh, learning to navigate and code switch and be within an all white community. Um, which I'd been doing all my life. And so it was very resonant for me. And um, three felt that I could capture her story. And the way that we did it was to uh, create the text for the film. Um, I interviewed her, oh gosh, probably 20 times. And then chose with her help the stories that we wanted to focus on. And then I rewrote them, retaining as much of the sense and... Um, Mm -hmm. If not the syntax of her story, at least the uh, 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 tone of her story, it helped 
um, throughout the film that Sri was the subject of the film and she was in the film and she really wanted to experiment. We worked very closely at the Indonesian Institute for the Arts in Yogyakarta. And there were a couple of scenes that the um, other women who are um, from Java and currently live there found challenging and one in particular, which is core to the film. And it was just three wearing this incredibly regal, beautiful, traditional uh, dancewear, hair, makeup, and costume around, uh, across, to cross the busiest street in Yogyakarta. And so it was this juxtaposition of this glorious, wonderful, incredible, quote-unquote, traditional outfit, uh, uh, costume, in this other part of Yogyakarta, mm -hmm. which is busy downtown street, and people looking at her like, what is wrong with her? The Indonesians. <laughs> All the way along the line, she was like that. When we came to a tricky place, and I would say three, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling this is maybe a little delicate, um, and I would err towards not filming that or not choreographically pushing the dancers as much as I would want. And she would relentlessly say, no, this is about experimenting more, more, more. And she felt that that was the core of her story, that she never fit in because she was so wacky and off kilter and forward thinking. And she felt, that's me. You have to push boundaries even within my culture. I've had the pleasure of working and programming uh, almost ever since that moment. And very few performances in screen dance have really felt so raw and like just so ripped open like that one. And yeah, she was pretty amazing. Um, that was where with that film, because you're reminding me, <laughs> our first version, which quite frankly, I thought was the strongest, was 30 minutes. We had these phenomenal scenes with, we had 50 uh, young women from the Indonesian Institute of the Art um, in a field doing the most exquisite abstract gesture combined with Indonesian dance. Uh, and it just all, we had a, Carrie Ann gave me one quote from a curator and it was, if you're doing a 30 minute piece, it needs to be twice as good as a 15 minute piece. And we go through this with screening committee meetings every single year. That quote comes up every oh year. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, and she was like, do we want it to screen a lot? Or we do want it to screen once or twice? And I thought a lot. So we got it down. We were hoping for 15. We got it to 16 minutes. I sit through my own work and I think live work and film and think, oh, it's just too long. Um, and almost every film that I've seen in the theater, I think, wow, that was just too long since it used to be two hours was an hour and a half to two. And now it's like two hours to three and a half hours for a commercial film um, that I think. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that's also some, like from the curatorial side, it's a responsibility that you you kind of keep in mind as far as like, you know, what would what's the cultural production of this of this form like if we're you know constantly picking like you know 10 shorts and then maybe one feature what's that doing to the rest of the form yeah and, exactly such great questions wow the issues yeah and we could i mean definitely over the last 10 years since the film you know 
really traveled extensively. Uh, we've we've been seeing that, and especially with so many people jumping on the dance film train over the last three years. Yeah, um, we're seeing that more and more too. But as far as um, sort of creating these incubators or creating these concentrated spaces for dance film, you joined uh, the UCLA faculty in 96, I believe it was. That's right, yeah. And it was very soon after that that the uh, Center for Intercultural Performance there initiated the Dance Media Project, which ran for three years and led to a collection of very intensive gatherings, which led to a fellowship like an educational fellowship program as well as a a book that's right <laughs> that yeah. came out of it and um but like many initiatives in screen dance we we've seen really dating back to the 40s we'll see these initiatives pop up and then die out and have uh sort of this this system where a lot a lot develops on these islands and then not much emerges from that. I'm very interested what your experience with that program was. Like what kind of uh, work did you see emerge that had staying power? Wow, that's a really great question. Um, And uh, first of all, that um, I know of so few, it's such a challenge for the field, with the field, um, for me personally, as a filmmaker, as a film viewer, there are so few with live work where your work can actually gestate. That's one of the reasons that I enjoy being in academia. You're not forced to keep regurgitating work if uh, before it's ready. Um, and uh, my films take less time. My live works take three to five years. And it's okay to take that long. I have found so little support uh, in terms of the making of a film uh, video um, and all the grants that I would ordinarily apply to, and I, even the ones that I thought there was a little wiggle room, and I'm checking the bylaws, uh, thinking, I'm uh, checking the um, uh, grant uh, guidelines, thinking, okay, I'm a, I'm a primarily a creator of live work, but I also make films. Can I apply for this to make a film? And the answer is almost, well, it has always been no. This is specifically for live work. Um, and so uh, it's, in part, the, my next couple of one project in specific is a film, but that lack of uh, programs that can uh, house and support uh, is probably one of, is definitely one of the reasons that I haven't been able to return uh, as quickly to film. Um, and I have to say, a lot of things came out of uh, Judy Matoma um, started and ran uh, the programs at UCLA. Uh, and uh, she had a couple of them, uh, and they had impact on the artists who were there, uh, but sustaining the actual program for the long run. Uh, and I'm happy that she was able to be to to uh, before thinking enough to say, what if a publication, something that has endurance and will be here, so that folks can refer to it. What if that's one of the outcomes from this program? Uh, but what I've done is the cycle that you've mentioning, uh, we've been able, I've been able to watch it where there's a lot of percolation and it does in fact affect, um, I went to the field and the artists, the artists come out of these programs change and they certainly did uh, with the UCLA program. Uh, uh, and so that's uh, really great. 
but I think the impact on the field, the impact to then continue to uh, affect the artistry of filmmakers, uh, that's the part that's not there um, for me. Um, and we'll see what happens. Um, I think that it led from when I first arrived at UCLA in 96, there weren't a lot of dance filmmakers. Um, and, you know, everything in life is for better and for worse, meaning it has amazing stuff attached to it and it has not to challenges. And I would say the pandemic, because we could not produce live work, out of necessity, everyone <laughs> became a dance filmmaker. <laughs> everyone. Yeah. Exactly. Like, it's like after years, decades of begging to take this work seriously, all of a sudden people realize, okay, here's a quote unquote new form that we can exactly. learn. Exactly. <laughs> You're like, wait, new form? Oh. And I think that's another thing about the history of the form that it does span so many years, but it's far and away the UCLA Dance Media Project, I think is one of the more well-preserved instances. I remember when I was in college, like that was like the only book I could refer to is to find out more information. But as far as other initiatives, um, I mean, even just going back to the extensive history that UCLA has back, even going back to like the Julie Dash films and like Allegra Fuller Snyder's work and the, yes. how instrumental it was in creating the form, a lot of that history is just not accessible. That, that is, um, that's so right. Um... Yeah, even for those of us who are there. <laughs> lack of archives, lack of availability, direct availability of work, although it is slowly getting better. I think that's one of, one of the issues with when um, you, uh, and again, the great thing was, wow, there was a huge interest in dance filmmaking. Um, and some I, I saw some really strong films that were made but there were also um, films just, uh, you know, when you have that number of people certainly working, suddenly working within a farm, you would say, oh, wow, I wish that there were more work to see with an immediacy um, because there was not a fluency um, in filmmaking. Um, and I wasn't a film student either, so I can't, you know, I can't say that I had much of a fluent, you, uh, you learn as you go, I totally get it. Uh, but I think that if, uh, work were more readily available and there were programs to mentor artists. It would actually help uh, the field as a whole and help all the folks who are coming up to really brilliant artists in uh, dance filmmaking and with a renewed sense of, or a new sense of diversity, which is amazing. Yes. Um, it kind of went, oh, well, anyone can make a film now. And, and, and I support that in many ways but also wish that there were strong avenues of support and mentorship to help artistically. And one of the themes I see as far as um, those who try to initiate mentorship or try to establish some kind of ex extended program for it is often it falls on the artist to continue doing that work themselves without some kind of institutional support. And a lot of I know a lot of screen dance artists see festivals as sort of these institutions and often have complaints about screening fees, but the majority of them are artist-initiated yes. programs, um, yeah. in, including Dance Camera West. It's my understanding that you were involved or very much in the sphere of the organization as it was first evolving. 
And uh, do you have any memories of what those early years were like and uh, what Kelly and Lynette and, you know, future leadership went through during that time? Yeah, I was um, uh, involved. At, I would say I was in the orbit as a viewer and that every year as as the forum emerged uh, uh, and, and the festival emerged, as the forum um, uh, uh, transitioned and morphed and... It, it, the James Cameron West was a great, such a great chance to just go in and see what was out there. That was the place where you could get what I was just saying, maybe sometimes it's not readily available. I would just uh, spend the week at the whole festival to get a sense. And also then a lot of the work was being made uh, where it was, uh, had more funding, which is in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so a lot of those films really weren't accessible um, to me. And so you could almost um, uh, receive mentorship from the screen, meaning see what's out there, what's being produced, um, uh, what are the possibilities? And Dance Camera West was really important to me uh, in that respect, especially uh, when Kelly and Lynette uh, were heading it at the beginning because they had a very progressive aesthetic and they were uh, very much wanting to forward films that were, uh, you know, to use a cliche, pushing boundaries or expanding the form in some way. Um, in the very beginning, they were interested in diversity and diversity of filmmakers, diversity of form. And so Dance Camera West was the place that I could go to be um, schooled uh, about what was out there. And the culture of Dance Camera West was just amazing. Uh, in those days, it was held at um, Red Cat uh, Theater, which already had this milieu of being, you know, the avant-garde intersection of dance and performance, and uh, and uh, Dance Camera West was a part of that culture as well. Um, and so those first years were really important to me. That was when I thought, oh, I should make another film. I I love this uh, form. And then when I did make Bittersweet um, with a filmmaker, Robbie Shaw, uh, uh, shot it and edited it, uh, Dance Camera West is, was very enthusiastic about premiering it, and we premiered it there. Um, so even on that front, uh, I was thrilled, honored, and just so delighted to have Dance Camera West go from something that I was a huge fan of to have them actually supporting the work. So you actually have been involved as a board member uh, with Dance Camera West for a while and have also served as a jury member for quite a bit of time, um, including for the upcoming edition, which I'm I'm also excited to, to be in that capacity. So jurying films in screen dance, which um, tend to come from many different impetuses and really take many different forms which are not exactly easily categorized let's say sometimes I know I, I experienced this as a as a programmer when uh, screening films but it can sometimes be hard to evaluate films against each other yet on their own terms what is your approach as a jury member and what are the um, considerations you have as far as evaluating whether a film is Award worthy. Um, I think that for me, the best that we can, and you know, we're still all subject to our own biases and backgrounds. And the the only context that I have is a context that my my brain has 
So, with, but with that in mind, because we get such a diverse range of forms at UCLA, of genres of dance and um, techniques of dance, particularly in the early years, we had a lot of global um, dance represented in the department. And so with teaching students and seeing work from the very beginning, if I'm going to try to analyze uh, someone's work and then also grade it, um, it's about entering into uh, that person's perspective world and form as best I can uh, to try to, as opposed to uh, uh, judging it from my own aesthetic or what would from my Western, African-American, alternative forms perspective make for a good structure. Um, I try as best that I can to right off the bat enter into the world of the filmmaker, uh, 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 the, the live artist, and then I try to carry that over into filmmaking. It's sometimes impossible uh, and you can never be completely fair, uh, but uh, because there's it's impossible to fully enter into that person's world. But I always try to understand what, what is their either stated intention. I, I actually personally really appreciate it when um, um, artists just present, you don't have to tell me what it is or what it's about, but two sentences about what's informing your work. And then I can see it from that perspective, how successful have they been for me in fulfilling their own purpose and intention? How are they seeing structure that's different from how, how I see it? And um, what's a really huge one um, for me would be what type of resources are they working with? It's uh, sometimes challenging to have a film with just mega budget, um, usually not from the US, but occasionally, combined with um, a film that was shot on an iPhone with zero budget. Although to be honest, those iPhone films usually are kicking ass. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Lately it's gotten hard for me not to not to go, oh you had a big budget and you didn't do enough with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially the younger generation who oh, is just gosh, so yeah. who is raised on, you know, basically raised on screen for better or for worse. Exactly. And now with now with the likes of TikTok and Instagram, like they're very, very fluent with how to create. Exactly. And, frame their reality. Yeah, and I have to say um, that, uh, uh, speaking of looking at films, uh, being required to comment or, or I'm avoiding, avoiding the word judge, or decide who gets which award, I will say that the quality of filmmaking, especially from younger folks, does go up and up. We'll see where the world ends up, but there, you know, it's, there are some issues around length and sustaining an idea for longer than a TikTok video, but maybe that's okay. I don't know. But they certainly are used to thinking visually um, and um, shooting because they do it uh, night and day, which I think is a great thing. So they have tangible experience with a camera. I'm very curious. I wish I could look at my crystal ball and see... Uh, where we'll be artistically with uh, film and live theater um, when this generation is now the, the dominant um, generation in terms of art making. Yeah, it's hard to, I mean, I was very tempted to ask you, what do you see in that crystal ball right there? But it, it's hard to, to really yeah, say that's so, that's Yeah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. And maybe I would have been, 
more able to answer that pre-pandemic, but I think we're still figuring out uh, the what what the new normal is. I, d- I don't know. That's a really good question. What would you what would you like to see in the crystal ball? With the arts, I actually am already uh, mourning, uh, maybe prematurely, the act of a community coming together, whether it's to see a film or to see a piece of live theater. They, they have this really cheesy, awful, and I love that everybody now hoots and hollers and makes fun of it. Um, AMC has got with, uh, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm playing Nicole Kidman? Yes! <laughs> it's so bad. It's, so it's bad. absurd. But her point of, it's about coming together and experiencing this together as a community. I That is actually a really good point. And I miss that with film as much as with live, even like a blockbuster, quote unquote, uh, which I'll see once in a while. And certainly art films, the, the list of films that I saw that I thought were, wow, just spectacular. And had, you know, it was my husband and two other people in the audience um, was, um, I don't, I, don't I, 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 I am uh, mourning the possible loss of that while also trying to think, well, look at all the things that we can stream and that are available to us um, uh, now. So uh, I would hope that in the future that um, there, the, the joys that we have of being able to watch um, and screen films at home would be combined with the equally great joy of going into a theater and experiencing film as a community. I'm so happy that Dance Camera West is gonna be live. Um, Even during the height of the pandemic, we did a drive-in and Mm -hmm. everyone just loved, even though you were in a separate car, we were texting each other. I had five cars there, we were friends. (laughs) We thought, well, if we can't sit next to each other, we'll, we'll drive next to each other. And it was like being in a theater. We would text our opinions and, oh, did you see that? Did you, um, and it was the, the communal aspect um, that deepens your not only enjoyment, but understanding of a film. I hope yes. that that doesn't get lost. Absolutely. I mean, film festivals, I mean, some have argued the relevance of dance film festivals, yes. especially as so many more things go to streaming. But it's not only you know, the curation of the films, but the curation of the experience and exactly. really the unpacking of what these very, you know, non-dictatorial works are are communicating. Exactly. Well, David Rousseff, thank you so much for joining us today. Of course, my pleasure. I really enjoyed speaking. This is Frameform, hosted by Hannah Weber, Jen Ray, and Claire Schweitzer. Edited by the Frameform team and music by Mason Carlton. Thanks for listening.